Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hi! Welcome to Honey Do Me Podcast. I'm Cass. And I'm Emma. And this is our podcast about having great sex or mediocre sex, feeling good in your skin suit, and working on your relationships. <laughs> Absolutely it is. What a beautiful summary of all Thank that you. we are. Um, I appreciate the mediocre sex reference because uh -huh. we like to meet you where you're at. Mm -hmm. And let's be honest, we're not always um, at our best. No, that would be exhausting. I'm hardly ever at my best. <laughs> hardly ever. <laughs> Although I did try to intentionally. So like last night I went to bed with like, okay, wake up cunty, wake up cunty. But in like the cool okay. way. Okay. Yeah. Um, because, just like a bitch. <laughs> just like a fucking raging bitch. Um, I've just been feeling mediocre, which is again, fine. I mean, yeah. a lot of life is repetitive and boring. Yeah. Are we motivating enough? Um, <laughs> but I wanted to feel like better today. So I'm mm -hmm. like, wake up cunty, wake up cunty. And today yeah. I felt not so bad. Ah, I love <laughs> that for you. Um, not so bad is a step in the right direction. Surely. Um, amazing. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Um, and I could either do transition here or I have one more thing to say. I'm going to say one more thing. Okay. So, um, I wanted to reaffirm how much I love the space that we've created because when you get people together and they start getting more comfortable, all they want to do is gab about sex and the sex <laughs> they've had, the sex they aren't having, mm -hmm. uh, and the ups and downs that have come along the way. And it's just so fun to me that now we have this like official space where we get to do that with professionals all the time. All the time. I love we get that to talk about the most intimate, dirty little things. And that's yeah. so cool. It is so cool. I just love that we've made a job out of like the best pastime. You know, mm. like the best time that we've had, we've made a job out of it. And I think that's so cool of us. So I think it's also very fun that we forget, at least I do a lot, how um the way we talk for work is not necessarily appropriate in everyday life. <laughs> um, I hate that, though. I have to learn that lesson time and time again. It's so irritating. If yeah. I want to say penis loudly, it feels like I, I don't know. I don't know why I would whisper that in the sentence that I'm trying to share with you. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but the world just hasn't caught up with us yet. But, I guess. It's kind know. of annoying. I do have to learn that lesson a lot. And I think I take it off the bat as like, why aren't we there yet? Why can't I just talk mm-hmm. about this? But also you have to realize that we're in a bubble <laughs> when we're in this space. So we can't just talk about, you know, our O's <laughs> at a dinner with the in-laws, I guess. Our O's, P's and V's, mm. you know. Anyway, <laughs> but what I was going to say that transitions well into this week's topic was that feeling mediocre um, is fine. And sometimes uh, it helps, I guess. I don't know. I'm trying to introduce fighting. <laughs> Maybe you take it from here. <laughs> um, I don't personally see the transition, but I love that you see it. Thank you. Um, so I'll meet you right there. We are talking about fighting today. So we have two of our absolute favorites back on, Em and Jen, the the shrink chicks. Mm-hmm. Let me get that out of my, my pie hole. <laughs> um Last time that they were on, we talked about how we're toxic as fuck. We talked about all the things that we tend to do as people in relationships that are just a a little toxic and can get in the way of us living our best lives, having the best relationships that we want. Um, And so we wanted to kind of continue that trend and talk about some of the stickier situations that come up in relationships. And we thought fighting was just the most fun way to do that. So we're talking about how to fight fair. Mm-hmm. How to do it in a way that's actually going to build up your relationship, help your relationship thrive, um, rather than burn it to the fucking ground. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I have the privilege of getting to live through our interviews twice because I also edit mm-hmm. the audio. And I was shooketh when we had our interview initially. And then when I get to go through and edit, points just hit home. Mm-hmm. over and over again that like if you have to listen to this twice or 700 times throughout your life like this would be the episode to do it because it does hit so many different dynamics of like frustrations or arguments or fights that come up in relationships that there's just always a new way to look at it and em and jen just fucking blow it out of the park i love absolutely it. there have been a lot of times since we have recorded this interview that i thought wow that person really <laughs> needs this episode <laughs> Um, wow yeah we really need to share this episode with the world (laughs) we really do and so we just can't be happier to share this with you Uh this week on valentine's day i mean fuck it up (laughs) guys honestly my fights and we kind of touch on this about how fights do happen at points where you think you're supposed to be at your happiest and i will say that holidays are times when i have gotten in fights or valentine's days or anniversaries when you're like we're supposed to be birthdays oh (laughs) birthdays when like you think you're supposed to be happy and spoiled and like having this romantic moment but something doesn't hit your expectation and then there's a disappointment in a fight anyway I think this is actually perfect time to have this episode. (laughs) That's such a good fucking point. Holy Mm -hmm. shit. The amount of fights I've gotten into on days that were supposed to be the happiest of my life. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But you know what? There's always room to grow. And Mm -hmm. I do love the feeling at the end of a fight. Um, And that sounds like I'm talking about makeup sex. I'm not a makeup sex person. I was like, where are we going with this? (laughs) Whatsoever. Um, But I feel like with my partner now, I think we have gotten to a relatively like healthy place of fighting. I'm excited to implement more of the tips from Em and Jen. Mm -hmm. But I love how close we feel after a fight. Yeah. Um, 
And I think that's really cool. Like it makes me, I don't love the fight during, but I am really appreciative of the fight after because yeah. I just feel so much more connected in my relationship. And I feel like that should be the goal with everything that we do. So I'm mm-hmm. perfect. Um, Followed my footsteps. <laughs> Followed my footsteps. And that's all I got to say. I yeah. love it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, put your dukes up, bitch, and we'll mm-hmm. see you on the other side. All right. Bye. Bye. Uh, my name is Jennifer Chaikin. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and relationship expert. Um, I am the co-owner with the lovely Emily Beerley of our uh, therapy practice, The Therapy Group, and we are co-hosts of the Shrink Chicks podcast. I, I'm all those things too. I'm Emily. <laughs> Every time we're like, we have the same, you know, we have the same intro. And so sometimes one of us will do it. The other one will say ditto. You know, it's just, it ends up being the same. I'm all those things. My name is Emily Beerley. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and relationship experts. And we're really excited to be back here today. Excited. Yay. We're so excited to have you. So what are you, what are your thoughts on fighting? Is it healthy for a relationship? And yeah, let's start there. Yes. Yes. So you should fight. Yes. You should absolutely <laughs> fight with your partner and partners. Let's be very clear about that. It is not about how often you fight. It is about how you fight. Yes. It's the number one thing to keep in mind, right? We, when a couple comes into us and like, oh, we don't fight ever. I'm like, oh shit. It's always a bad hard. sign. <laughs> it's always a bad sign for okay. us. Because if you're not fighting ever, it means that there's shit that you're not saying. So it's really, really good to fight. It's really normal to fight. And hopefully we can talk a little bit about how to actually fight fairly. Um, because mm-hmm. one of the things that I think we talked about in our last episode with y'all is, is taking accountability. And we have to look at yeah. what our part is in this. Yes, there's a, there has mm-hmm. actually been studies that have found that avoiding conversations now means making the relationship worse later. So a 2017 study found that when partners avoided important relationship topics, they had worse communication, they were less happy, and they were less dedicated to the relationship seven weeks later. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's not even that much no. longer later. That's a quick <laughs> turnaround. It's like right around the corner. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. And that's just yes, and a very one, also a very famous relationship researcher, John Gottman. Um, there's another study that came out: sixty nine percent of conflict in marriages stems from past unresolved conflict. Ooh. So there's a lot to talk. There's a lot in relationships that needs to be talked about um, that isn't talked about because I think that there's this idea that oh, a healthy relationship means that you're not fighting. Um, But Mm -hmm. in fact, you're actually just not talking to each other. You're not expressing what's going on for you. You're not communicating. And maybe it's because you don't necessarily have the tools to communicate. Usually when uh, communication kind of falls by the wayside is that you've tried to communicate with one another and it has turned into um, you know, something, a huge blowout. And then you started to avoid those conversations because you never developed the tools to be able to talk through some of these topics, some of these really difficult, activating topics. Um, and so that's what we want to help you out with so that you can fight fairly in your relationships. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, please. Honestly, nothing scares me more. And I hope it resonates with other people too. than when you said like, you're just creating problems for your later self and literally seven weeks later, I've tried to 
instill that fear with like chores even around the house of like, if I don't do this now, it's going to be annoying later. So to have that be around fighting in relationships and being like a problem later. Oh, that's crushing. So one of the things we keep in mind is right. Discomfort now helps us Mm -hmm. to avoid resentment later. And resentment is damaging in any type of long-term relationship because resentment leads to avoidance and we don't want to have sex with the person we don't want to be close to them um it leads us to look outside of our relationships resentment is something we really try to stay away from and the way we do that is Mm -hmm. is uncomfortable conversations first what can resentment look like oh man so it can look like (laughs) passive aggressiveness it can look like complete avoidance of vulnerability. It can look like um, it, with that vulnerability, it can also be like sexual intimacy. Like I don't want to have sex with my partner, right? If I, all I think about is how my partner does nothing around the house and then they want to be intimate with me, I'm probably like secretly like, yeah, I don't like this person, right? <laughs> yeah. So like resentment is like, it sort of, it, yeah, it comes off in often very passive aggressive terms. Okay. Because I like obviously, I think most of us have heard the term resentment, but it sounds like this huge, scary word. And it's like, I don't know if that's what I'm feeling, but I feel like it can show up in much smaller ways than we're expecting Absolutely. it to. Absolutely. And it come, you see it come out. I mean, have you ever been out with a couple and you see them bickering? Right. They're just and about the tiniest things. Right. It's not really about those tiny things. It's about the resentments that have built up over time in their relationship. And you know when it's coming out in front of other people how much it's built up and how much they haven't been able to communicate about those things. Mm -hmm. Oh, you can just feel it. It's palpable. Yes. Yes. (laughs) For the couples that I've definitely been friends with couples that have been like, no, we just like agree on things. Like things just aren't a big enough issue for us to fight over. And I'm just like, fuck you. Like, that's not (laughs) true. I think that everything's a reason to fight over it or to at least argue over it. Or it, first of all, is that a difference arguing versus fighting? But also is that even real where you can just like agree and be symbiotic the whole time? People, it's only what? people on the West coast that say that. Um, <laughs> here, they're like, East coast, wow. East coast doesn't happen. In general, there's folks that personality wise, they're more easygoing, right? I'm not one of those people. Never in my life would someone be like, Emily's a chill girl. Never. It's never being said about me, right? So, but there are some folks that are like absolutely more uh, casual and chill personalities. Those people may fight less, but our concern Mm -hmm. is the never, right? When you were telling me in Mm -hmm. future, we always fight versus we never fight. It should be a mixture of both of these things, right? So there should be the happy medium in between. So I guess for those folks, I would say is one, maybe their relationship is new, right? If I've only been with someone for three months, yeah, maybe there's nothing to fight about yet. Maybe my relationship hasn't experienced anything. But if you have a relationship that has experienced any type of difficulty, right? Our children get sick, somebody loses a job, there's financial strain, our parents get sick, any of these things, it's going to be a time of difficulty. And with difficulty comes discomfort that often leads to issues and conflict. There's nothing wrong with that. But for anyone who says like, oh, we've never fight stuff in my head, I'm like, okay, one, what are you not fighting about? Or two, wow, I guess you guys haven't had to go through anything difficult yet. Good luck. Right. Good luck. (laughs) That makes sense. One of my friends said that um, before she moves in with a partner, she has to go through like multiple seasons with them before she even considers it. 
I am not that patient, <laughs> but she says like three years of, so you can feel like the ups and the downs mm-hmm. of life and stuff. I'm like, damn, pop off. But it makes sense. Cause you want to see what like you're going to be like during those Absolutely. Times. Well, I would also say that when you move in with someone, you really get a good picture of what those seasons look like. That living with someone is a completely yeah. different ball game. Because mm-hmm. I think oh, it's easy yes. when you're separated to really hide those triggers, those activations. Um, but when you are in the same space with one another, uh, it, it can very easily turn into disconnection in your relationship. And what happens is when we have external stressors, um, they infiltrate our relationship. It's hard for them not to, right? So let's say you're really stressed about something from work. You come home and your partner says something that maybe – in the past, when you weren't stressed from work, wouldn't have been as activating for you. But now that you're stressed from work, um, they say something and it, it it triggers you. And so it maybe comes out of nowhere. And without your ability to understand where that's coming from for you and be able to choose to respond without reacting, then it ends. you end up taking it out on your partner. And then your partner gets triggered and activated and reacts back to you. So the key is really understanding what are the ways in which I am triggered and I'm activated? How do I how do I react to that? And how do I learn how to respond to those activations? What do I want to do differently so that I don't take it out on my partner? Now, as therapists, we have to talk about a childhood because if not, we can't call ourselves therapists, right? And so as right. Jen's talking about like understanding your own triggers, you might also want to look like what was modeled for you in childhood. How did my parents fight? For some folks, if they grew up in a very high conflict household, they might overcompensate by never wanting to have conflict at all because there was such discomfort in their childhood. For some folks, high conflict childhood, um, parents fighting out means that's just how I do it in my home as well, right? Um, For some of us, we never saw our parents fight ever. They would always do it behind closed doors. When we work with couples, we often say like, listen, like my biggest thing is not you avoiding fighting in front of your kids. Sometimes something happens in the moment, but if you're going to fight in front of your kids, you have to apologize in front of them too. Because what Mm. will happen a lot with couples is they'll have some tiff in front of their children. And then later after the kids go to bed that night, they talk it out behind closed doors. So then kids don't see the resolution that comes as well. And so when you really think about like, I want you to truly think about your childhood, how was conflict modeled for you? Mother's Day is around the corner, and whether you're celebrating your mama, grandma, guardian, or yourself, celebrate with the mother of all self-care routines by trying out Osea's Mega Moisture Duo. This duo delivers a one-two punch in luxurious body care moisturizers with their Anduria Algae Body Oil and Anduria Collagen Body Lotion, both featuring Osea's signature all-natural citrusy scent. I use both the body lotion and the Anduria Algae Body Oil once I get out of the shower, and I use it literally everywhere. This duo is my go-to for feeling glowy and hydrated for literal days, and the Osea Signature Scent is one of my faves because it's not overwhelming, um, but it's like a delicious and fresh smell that just lasts. 
Since 1996, Osea has been making seaweed-infused skincare that is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat mom to the everyday spa experience she deserves with clean, vegan skin and body care from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code DOOMY at oseamalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to oseamalibu.com and use code DEWME for 10% off. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that's really um, interesting to think about too. And I feel like with my parents... I, I never saw them fight, but I saw them get um, like tiffy mm -hmm. in front of each other and a little bit like pissy, but then there was no resolve. So I'm not blaming them. <laughs> I'm just saying I can see a parallel of like, I just get agitated and I keep letting that kind of fester. Mm -hmm. And then later we'll talk about it. But that's really Wait, interesting. Emma, so can I, I ask you about. a question? Oh, so sure. What's apologizing <laughs> like for you in a relationship? I've had to get really, I've had to be intentional okay. about it. Um, I wouldn't say it was until my last relationship that I started apologizing um, in the moment and sincerely. It took me until like 27 okay. <laughs> to understand like the power of apologizing. And I still don't think I'm good at it yet. I'm just... I know I'm like, mm, this is the point I should apologize. And then sometimes I'll sit there. <laughs> sometimes I won't. But I, yeah, I'm trying to like understand it a little bit okay, better. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> is it? Because Oh, go ahead. No, you go. You go. I was going to, it's kind of moving on to a new topic. So if you have yes. more to say on that. I don't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Absolutely no. not. <laughs> no, it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> is it normal, and maybe I'm outing myself a bit here, but is it normal to have more fights after a big event, like moving in together, getting engaged, getting oh. married, having a child? I feel like I've heard that, yes, definitely. But for me, I feel like after my partner and I moved in together and after we got engaged, those were two of like the hardest times in our relationship, which was confusing because everybody's acting like those should be the most exciting, happy times. And it's like, it just wasn't like we were very unhappy right after we got engaged. Who lied to you? I don't yeah. know. Who <laughs> lied to you? It's the no. West Coast. I'm telling you. <laughs> it's it's the West Coast. Coast. They're all dirty liars here. <laughs> <laughs> I, okay, so I want you to think about it this way. In some ways, fighting is very self-protective because actually fighting takes us away from vulnerability. And all these things we're talking about, moving in together, having way together, having children together, it's actually a tremendous amount of vulnerability and intimacy. Sometimes there's only so much we can take. So all of a sudden we're living with this person, God, they're in our space we're with them all the time. And some parts of it are awesome. You're like, hell, man, I get to hang out with my best friend. And the other time, it's like, get out of my shit. <laughs> so there's not, it's not about right or wrong in those times, but it definitely is completely normal for there to be an increase in fighting and conflict in high pressure situations. Just like Jen talked about before, is like everything happens in context. If things are more stressful in general, it's going to come out in your relationship. 
Yes. And I think we often bring our expectations of what we believe that these things are supposed to look like into our relationship, right? So if everyone told you moving in together is so wonderful, like you get to be with your best friend, it's the greatest thing. And then you move in together and you realize that's not true. And then you look around and you're like, who am I going to blame? I'm going to blame my partner. You're the reason why this is not working out, <laughs> right? It's so easy to look at them and say, well, well, it's supposed to be like this. Why aren't you meeting that expectation? And the reason is, is that it will never meet your expectation, <laughs> no matter what, Damn. because you are living with, you're connected to an imperfect person. And you will always come to times where there will be conflict, where you're two different people, you have two different ideas, you're bringing two different expectations about what the relationship should look like. And so what happens is, and what we notice as couples therapists is that you bring these kind of unconscious expectations into the relationship. And if you don't make them more conscious, then you react to those unconscious ideas about here's what I believe the relationship should look like. And so what we help clients do is to bring those unconscious expectations to the forefront to make them more conscious. Oh, well, I believed that when we got engaged, it was going to be this amazing time. We were going to spend so much time together. We were going to wedding plan together, but you're always at work and I'm the only one doing it. And so, and, and then your partner brings it up of, well, I had this expectation that this wedding was about you and that you wanted to make all of these decisions. And so that's why I was letting you make the, right. So, so we make those unconscious expectations so much more conscious to be able to communicate about them and figure out like, where are we missing each other? Because we take those expectations. We just assume that our partner has the same ones. Right? We just assume that they're in it with us. Yeah. And so making those more conscious and then being able to communicate about them will really help a lot about a lot of this because it makes you go like, huh, I didn't realize that you thought that this was going to be like this. I thought it was going to be something completely different. Mm -hmm. And it's so vulnerable too to like put that on the table of your expectations. I almost feel like it's embarrassing mm -hmm. to say what you expected from a situation. And yeah, I feel like it would have to be like, I sit with myself and I understand what my expectations were. And then I have like the courage to actually say them and claim them and be like, oh, I deserved my expectations or I deserve to have a conversation about why we're all not on the same page. It's funny that you use the word embarrassed because I think that like mm -hmm. that experience is actually very common that people don't talk about, right? I'm embarrassed to ask for my needs in a relationship, I embarrassed yeah. to assert myself. I'm embarrassed to talk about my expectations, right? Why are we so embarrassed? And there is a much larger cultural discord around, especially specifically how we talk about women being needy, mm -hmm. right? right? And so for a really long time, you're taught, well, don't be a needy woman. You're going to annoy people, right? You're a burden. Don't say this stuff. And so actually being very honest is a very, you used a wonderful word, brave thing to do. And it's also makes people uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. So interesting. Mm -hmm. Cass, do you feel like also the um, pressure of forever was a stressor once you were engaged? Or did I that not? I don't know, because I had always it. pictured it as forever before the engagement. Right. So I don't know if it was just mm -hmm. like the pressure or maybe it was just the expectation of what being engaged meant and I really like what both of you were saying about 
vulnerability and how you can't like sometimes you can't handle that much like that's a lot to put on the line and so I think it was just a combination of the expectation and the vulnerability and just like a oh this I don't know also I think we were just like younger than either of us really expected to be when we were in the relationship that we wanted to commit to and stay in so I think it just kind Mm -hmm. of was a lot of things (laughs) all wrapped in Super yeah, fair. there's also this expectation yeah. of like when I get engaged, you know, I have found my person and I will have no questions about it or, you yes. know, there will be no like second – if they're second guessing, it means there's something that's wrong. And like that is a myth that we debunk all <laughs> the time, okay? Like it, this is complicated. Like to, to make this choice is a really big decision. Like it is okay to have – thoughts about, you know, oh, is this the right decision? Am I, you know, too young or am I, it's, that is natural. It comes with the process. And I think we have been fed this messaging and this idea of, you know, when you meet the right person, you'll know. And when you, you know, Mm -hmm. you meet the right person, they're going to complete you. And all of that really sets us up to be disappointed in relationships. Mm. I mean, yeah. I was halfway through curling my hair today and I, and I deeply regretted that decision. <laughs> and that was for a hairstyle that will last for 12 hours. Um, and so <laughs> if I am going to be with someone deeply. for the rest of my life, I'm going to maybe get freaked yeah. out sometimes, right? Like right. I've been married for almost eight years now, I think. You were um, a child, child bride. I, I was a child bride. <laughs> That's what it feels like to me. <laughs> I was 26 when I got married. I was super young. Um, I had my uh, daughter at 29. And to me, that felt like being a teen mom. And still the whole time, I'm like, man, I love this. And also like, could there have been a different reality for me? And having another part of yourself that isn't there, the part that keeps um, going out and keeps dating and keeps doing whatever, it's okay to have some grief around that part. To say to yourself, man, maybe there was a different reality where I met my partner in my 40s and I had more time, but still I want to be with this person. And so that there's a part of yourself that has to grieve as well. And that does not mean there's anything wrong. It means that human beings are very complex creatures. And what Emily's speaking to in that like disenfranchised grief, it's a grief that we don't really talk about. It's a grief that we don't really validate in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about the joys of getting married, of meeting our our person, right? We don't talk about the grief that we feel of letting that part of us go, of saying, okay, well, this part now has to go away, right? Um and so there is a grief that comes with that. There's a grief that also comes with moving in with someone. At any stage that you go through, there's also a grief that can come with it, right? And so I think to allow ourselves to feel multiple emotions at once, to say, I'm allowed to be really happy about this. I'm also allowed to be sad about what I'm letting go of. Um, and, and once again, that can happen at every single stage. And when we deny ourselves the ability to feel some of those more difficult emotions, they get stuck and they come out as resentments and they come out as other ways, uh, in other ways. And then we blame our partners for things. So allowing ourselves to feel all of the emotions that come with these transitions is really important. And the reason why it's hard is because it's not popularized to, it's not romanticized to say, oh, I'm also feeling a little sad about this at the same time. I 
I'm also sad that maybe this isn't what I thought it was going to be. You know, just accepting those parts of yourself is also really important. Um, Esther Perel, who's an amazing couples therapist, and she wrote Made in Captivity, right? All the stuff we always know. She has a great quote, which is that all of us will be married multiple times in our life. And if we're lucky, it's with the same person. And what that means is that there will be different versions of me and you and us throughout time. And that's a good thing. How do I go to 2.0 to 3.0 of a relationship? And what Jen's talking to is holding the complexities that come with it. My partner is growing in this way. I'm growing in this way. How do we keep um, navigating that together? Mm -hmm. Wow. That was beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) That felt like such a, you put words, Jen, to the whole complex knot, I feel like inside our stomachs when conflicting emotions come up and it just, it helps so much to have like a trail of thought or a trail of emotions, the way that you just put it, because it is so real and so human to feel like I know that the next time I'm in a relationship, I am 100% going to grieve the life I have now because I absolutely love being alone. I love being in my own apartment. I love having my own hobbies and having my own time and space where no one talks to me. But I also am so excited to be in a relationship. So I can only imagine those two very intense feelings coming together like the next time I'm in a very committed like partnership. Well, and and you know, that might be just an important thing to acknowledge for yourself too. I think that there's also this expectation of like when you get a relationship, you'll never get alone time again. You always have to be with that person. And I think bringing that understanding of how important that is to you into your next relationship to be able to communicate that. Like, listen, I'm really excited to be in a relationship. You know, this is important to me. But also at the same time, I really love my alone time. And is there a way that I can also make that work within the context of our relationship to understand that about yourself and to know, to know that and communicate that and bring that into the relationship is also really important. Just because you get into a relationship doesn't mean you need to lose that piece of yourself. So how do you, you know, take the parts that are really important to you, bring them into the relationship and see like, how do we navigate this together? How do I get my needs met? How do you get your needs met? And how do we work through this as a couple? Mm-hmm. Ugh, I just love... I'll be coming to you. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted you. <laughs> no, I just said I'll be coming yes. to you um, when yes, that comes up. Let Thank me you. know. <laughs> I just love the permission and the acceptance and the allowance of multiple feelings because I agree with what you were saying about, um, you know, things being romanticized. And I think that's even true, like what we were talking about in the beginning, like it's romanticized, not fighting at all. And so it's so hard when it's like, well, if I'm questioning this, well, then maybe this person can't be the one because how could they be the one if I am even slightly questioning this? That's not the romantic, perfect picture that I've been fed for however many fucking years. And so then it's like, but they do, like, I love them so much and they've check all of these things that are really important to me. How could I possibly question it? And then it's like, is it a them? Is it me? Like, what is going on? So I just love the permission to let those feelings exist and let the grief exist because it. I think it's easy to feel guilty about feeling that way. Yes. And when mm-hmm. we tell ourselves 
we shouldn't feel this way. There's some, then we ruminate about it. Then we question it, right? We we take it down a train and mm-hmm. then we obsess over it. Why am I feeling this way? Shouldn't I not be feeling this way? Is it him? Is it me? Is it what's going on here? Um, and so when you give yourself permission to have those feelings, it it takes the tension out of it. It allows you to just be with yourself with everything that you're feeling and keeps you in a way from obsessing over, oh, I'm allowed to also feel this way. And I'm also allowed to marry this person and love them and feel connected to them. All of those things can be true in the same relationship. With allowing ourselves to feel doubt on the other end of it, when is too much doubt? Um, like I'm thinking about couples that fight about like, well, maybe we should break up. Mm. Well, maybe this isn't the relationship for us. And how many times of that being said, is that hurtful and already like the end of your relationship if you're fighting with those words? It's not a great sign. Um, so, <laughs> um, here's the things to know is that threatening to end the relationship is never going to be healthy. Having Mm -hmm. a conversation around consciously deciding maybe you and I are better suited apart than together is a very different conversation than what I think many couples use, which is the threat. Mm -hmm. The threat is damaging. Whether we're threatening, I hear couples all the time threatening, well, I guess I'll take you to couples therapy then. Or I guess, right, like things that are a threat. And if we Mm -hmm. feel like we have to threaten our partner to have change, that would be a concern. Mm. And I want you to consider that if that it feels like we have to go to such an extreme for somebody to be heard, right? And once again, that could be, I'm a therapist, I have to say childhood wounds. (laughs) Part of childhood, right? Maybe growing up, my parents were super busy. And the only way I got their attention is if I completely broke down. Well, then I'm going to keep doing the childhood things that got my needs met, even if they're not healthy in my relationship. So a good question I would ask yourself is, why do we keep doing this? Do we keep talking about it in the relationship because actually I want out, but I'm not brave enough to say it? Or is it a way to motivate my partner to do something different? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good point. Threatening to get what you want or what you need. Because in a way, it it is a form of manipulation, right? Right. For us to say, oh, oh, I'm going to leave the relationship, but but you actually don't mean it. You don't want the relationship to end and you're just testing your partner to see how they're going to respond. What is underneath that is a real need that you have, a real need to not feel abandoned, a real need to feel cared about. But once again, because vulnerability is so uncomfortable, instead of you saying, I really want to feel more cared about by you. I'm really afraid that you're going to leave me. I'm really afraid that you're going to leave me alone and I really care about you and I want to feel cared about in the same way. We say, well, maybe this isn't the relationship for me. And so you push them away when when the goal is to bring them closer because we're trying to protect ourselves, we end up pushing our partner farther away. And so that's what I would ask, you know, anyone listening to think about is the times in which I need my partner the most, are there things that I'm doing that are more so self-protective and keeping my partner at a distance? And are there ways that I can be more vulnerable, get underneath 
what those self-protective mechanisms are, to be able to actually communicate how I'm feeling in a more vulnerable way. That might be a good question to ask. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. It might be. Just, just something wow. to consider. For a friend. For sure. <laughs> just for a friend. Yeah. Well, it's like the only, and this is a funny visual, but it's like putting a shovel under that like compact pile of dirt that is just like mm. sunken into the concrete you can finally like lift it up and it's grown roots and it's ugly and it's gross but then you can finally like scrape the sidewalk that's kind of how I picture it and that painful <laughs> <laughs> when I think about like loosening up those defense mechanisms that get in the way of truly connecting with your partner because it is so much easier to have that like buffer on of like fine I'm going to push 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 you away and once you come back after I've said a lot of mean things and I've pushed you as far as I could, that's when I'll feel safe and you'll feel shitty. I'm giving you that, but I'll feel yes. better. Listen, there um, is a tremendous amount of bravery and intimacy. It is actually a very brave thing to be with someone in your life and know them and understand them and let them know and understand you. We act like being in a relationship is the weak thing to do sometimes. I feel like sometimes the cultural narrative is like, well, don't, you know what I mean? Like, the thing is, is that actually real intimacy is very hard and it's very scary. And if you are able to do this with bravery and courage and vulnerability, it will bring you a tremendous amount of joy. But I kind of think we don't really live in a culture that celebrates that, even though it is a really magnificent thing to do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So you already went over threats just a little bit. What are some other common things that we do in fights that are not so good? One of the things that I think is really important is to think about the context of when you're bringing up the fight, right? So we love Mm. to remind people of this, that oftentimes people say, don't go to bed angry. Um, we would say just go to bed because you're tired, (laughs) okay? (laughs) Fighting when you're tired is very difficult. It is Mm. really hard Mm. to regulate your emotions. Mm. So for you to be very conscious of when you are bringing up something that you know, might bring up conflict or to be able to communicate about something that's that's difficult is to be very conscious of when you're doing it. If you're if it's right before bed, you're both exhausted, you're both stressed, it's gonna be really difficult to find some sort of resolution. It's just gonna be harder. So mm-hmm. what I would say is go to bed, wake up, talk about it the next day, or find a time to talk about it. The thing you don't want to do, and I think the messaging around this, you know, old wives' tale, whatever it is, is to not sweep it under the rug, <laughs> which I think is really, really important. So definitely don't sweep it under the rug, but also consider the context that you are talking about some of these more difficult topics in. Mm. So there's mm-hmm. one of the things I think it's also important for us to talk about is uh, characteristics of bad communication. Because there is good and bad communication, um, right? We talked about it before. Passive aggressiveness, sarcasm, blaming your partner, um, scapegoating. It's got to be all their fault. Hopelessness. This is never going to get better. We should just break up. Demanding. If you don't go to couples therapy with me, I'm out, right? One of a lot of women's favorite is martyrdom and victimhood, right? So, uh, well, I guess I'll just do everything but then you're resenting the person. 
Um, mm-hmm. Those are all going to be characteristics of bad communication. The bringing them into the conflict are not is not going to help. Mm-hmm. Sounds about <laughs> right. Yeah. But how? How do we not bring those in? Yes. So, well, let us teach you how to actually fight fairly. Yes. Then. Right. Okay. So we've talked a lot about here's some things don't do, but instead let's give you some skills about what to actually do. So the first thing Mm -hmm. I'm going to recommend is Jen brought up something brilliant, which is when am I going to bring up conflict? So conflict should be brought up in a time that is safe. If I, I know for me personally, if I'm hungry, I shouldn't talk about anything because I'm going to bite your head off because I'm hungry. (laughs) Right. So for me, I have to say, have I slept? What's my stress level at work? Have I eaten? Right? Like I'm going to go over physical things. Same thing with my partner. If my partner had the worst week of their life at work, maybe I don't need to talk about his parents right then. <laughs> maybe that would be ideal. So maybe. the time mm-hmm. we're going to do this, I'm also going to get consent from my partner to talk about stuff. Bring it up as we're driving to the movies of, God, you know, your mom the other night, maybe not the best thing, but saying, hey, I want to talk through something that happened the other day. Is there a good time to do that? And we're going to talk that through. Now, if I have a very anxious partner, they might say, can we just do it now? But I can't wait because they're, you know, the whole time. It's like, you know, if your boss says to you, like, can we meet later this Mm -hmm. week? You automatically like I'm getting fired. There's nothing (laughs) else that could possibly be besides getting Mm -hmm. fired. Same thing if somebody asks us to talk. Right. So you can if you're Mm -hmm. the anxious partner, you can say, hey, could you give me a little context of what this is about? And if your partner is the anxious one, you can provide them with that context. So the number one thing I want you to think about is the time and place of power to do this and how long we're going to get it to go on for. Talking about things for multiple hours is not going to help. So I'm going to put a time limit typically on things around 30 minutes. And then we do a check-in to see if this is still a sustainable conversation. Jen, what's your next tip? Another tip that I have is when you are, let's say, it, right, if you're not very conscious about bringing these things up to each other, if you haven't made this plan, if it just happens, right, you start reacting to each other um, and you're realizing nothing productive is happening. We're name calling, you know, we're blaming each other, all of the, you know, bad communication is coming up. For the two of you to be able to say, let's take a pause. I don't think that this is productive right now. Let's take a little time to separate, to be able to regulate ourselves, and then we can come back to the conversation. What happens is, is that when we're really activated, we're looking for our partner to regulate us. We're looking for them to say something that's going to bring down our level of activation. The key here is learning how to regulate your own emotions for you to be able to say, okay, I don't have control over what my partner is going to say or what's happening for them. What I do have control over is the way in which I deal with the triggers, the activation that's coming up for me and how I'm going to respond to those triggers. What happens is that we typically, our partner might say something, we feel triggered by them and we immediately react to it in anger. We get defensive Mm -hmm. to protect ourselves. And then when we react in that anger, it triggers our partner, right? And it goes back and forth. And we're just like in this dance, right? And so for you to be able to say, okay, wait, when my partner says this, 
it brings up this fear of abandonment for me. Usually when this fear of abandonment comes up for me, I tell my partner, well, maybe we should break up. You know, maybe this isn't working for me. That's a reaction to that fear of abandonment. So if we go back to the vulnerability piece and say, okay, wait, how am I going to create space in when I'm triggered and when I'm activated by my partner to be able to acknowledge what I'm feeling? I'm feeling that fear of abandonment. And then to choose, well, what do, what do I want to do differently with that fear? Because what I'm doing right now, threatening my partner, the manipulation is not working for the relationship. It then triggers them to come back at me, which will then trigger me again. So what do I want to do differently? And if I need some space to be able to regulate my emotion, to be able to make that decision, that's okay. Mm -hmm. So for you to create space between the activation, the trigger, and the way in which you want to respond to that trigger, which could mean, hey, I'm really struggling right now. Like I'm feeling really disconnected from you. I really want to feel closer to you. I don't feel cared about. And so are there ways in which that we can do something differently so that I can feel closer to you? Like that there's ways to communicate in a more vulnerable way that will bring your partner closer instead of push them farther away from you. Mm -hmm. And so a solid script for that is I feel when you and it makes me. So I feel embarrassed and angry when you put me down in front of your parents and it makes me not want to have, not only avoid them, but push you away. So I feel when you, and it makes me, right? Because here's the emotion, here's the behavior, and here's the consequence. It's not just about the consequences, right? I think so many times people think about, oh, the consequences, um, I'm going to leave. A lot of times, most consequences are natural consequences. I don't want to have sex with you. I don't want to go on date nights with you. I don't want to help you do your things. I don't want to share parts of myself with you. There's natural consequences that come when there's anti-relational behavior. And so being able to also communicate not just how you feel, the consequence, the natural consequence that comes from that. What's really important in that too is even figuring out how you feel. I think it's really hard for a lot of people. Um, sometimes when we have couples in our office, we'll say, okay, well, tell me how you're, how, what's coming up for you. Like, what's the feeling? What's the feeling underneath that? And they'll say, well, I feel like he's being a jerk. And I said, I say, he's being a jerk is not a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> That's not an emotion. <laughs> Let's try again, mm -hmm. right? So sometimes you might really need to sit with yourself to figure out what's underneath your reaction. Typically, we see the reaction before we see what the emotion is. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you, the same thing's happening for your partner. They're feeling something. They might have no idea what they're feeling. And they're reacting to that emotion, right? There's something underneath it for them. And then they react back at you to protect themselves because they're feeling vulnerable in some way. So once again, you don't have control over what's happening with your partner. You only have control over what's happening for you. So if you find yourself blaming, turning it on them, I would look inward to say, well, what's going on for me right now? What am I feeling? What is this bringing up for me? So let's say you get to the point where you decide um, on a time and place you're going to talk about this. You've expressed yourself. What do you do next? Well, the one thing I want you to really think about is for there to be healthy communication, both people have to understand what we're talking about. If I start the conversation with, I didn't like how you put me down in front of your parents, and then within five minutes, I'm talking about how you don't do the dishes, we're talking about many different things. So mm -hmm. one 
topic we're going to stay on. It will not help us to bring up things from the past. But if things from the past keep coming up, it's because there is an unresolved rupture in the relationship that has to be talked about. But not in this moment. That's a different appointment you're making with your partner. <laughs> but if it keeps coming up, I think you might have to say to yourself, you know what? This might still mm. be a problem. And so both people have to understand of what we're talking about. And that I want you to attack the system or the problem, not the person. So the problem is, is um, uh, that the house is always a mess, right? So we need a better system for how we're going to take care of the house. Not just you don't do shit and I do everything. It sounds like we have to come up with a better system and solution here. And the person who brings it up also needs to bring up a solution. Now, if another person says, well, that's not going to work for me. I work late at nights and I can't help with that. Okay, that's fine. No problem. That system doesn't work. You are now responsible for bringing up the next solution mm -hmm. so that we are both working for a better system to handle our problem together because it is our problem, not just theirs or mine. I really like that shift because it can feel very me against you in fights. Mm -hmm. And I know that I have a tendency to take it to me against you just because that's what feels easiest because that's how it feels sometimes. That's not a feeling, I guess. I suppose that <laughs> okay. is not a feeling. <laughs> <Okay>. right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but it just feels so hard in the moment. Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering after you gave that one script, you know, I feel mm -hmm. when you what is like a good follow up if you're the if somebody's saying that to you? What is your mm -hmm. script in that mm -hmm. moment? Because I know my partner and I have a tendency to be like, will you do the same thing to me? Mm -hmm. And it's like that is never productive for us. It always just ends up in the back and forth. So what's something that you can say that's validating, um, even if you don't necessarily mm -hmm. agree or see it the same way? So for so many of us, we go into defensiveness. That's what mm -hmm. it is. You do the same thing to me. I can't hear this. This mm -hmm. is too much for me. Mm -hmm. I have to protect myself. That's what defensiveness is, right? Keep you at arm's length. So instead, I want you to think about the way that we disarm is we always find some truth into what somebody is saying. It doesn't really matter if it's my truth. It doesn't matter if it's the whole thing. But what I know is that you're coming to me with something, and that's really hard to do in this world, actually. So I'm going to find some truth in what you said. Wow, I would also probably feel pretty alone if you you were talking in the corner with all these people and I wasn't there, right? Or wow, I did not mean to make you feel that way. You can talk about that the intent wasn't there and still acknowledge the impact. I I didn't try to do that and I can totally see how that was. So I will find some truth, no matter how insane, right? My partner comes to me and I'm like, this is, this motherfucker is, this is not <laughs> But still, I'm going to say, whoa, I didn't know it was like that for you. I'm so sorry you're feeling that way. What would you like me to do next time? Mm -hmm. So you can disarm. And the other thing I want you to do is I want you to make sure you understand what they're saying. Okay, so you tell me when I go over to your mom's house, it makes me feel really bad that automatically all the women are supposed to pick up the dishes in the kitchen. Did I get you there? And I'm going to confirm I understand what they're talking about. Because if we are not specific, us as human beings, we love jumping to assumptions and coming to conclusions. 
And all of a sudden, mm. I've made some assumption that it's not even what my partner talks about. They're like, actually, I don't care about the cleaning of the dishes. I love cleaning dishes. Not a problem at all. What I cared about is that I felt nervous being there with your mom and the other women and you were away and I got scared. Okay, so next time you'd like me to check in on you. Yes, that's what would feel good. But this conversation can only be had when we take down our own defenses. Defensiveness will never lead to productivity in a relationship. And we can come up with creative solutions when there's connection. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite things that you brought up too, which is a huge um, tip that I'd like to bring into my next argument, um, but is coming with a solution as well. And I would hope that my partner and I eventually could work on that on both ends. I do feel like in the past when I've fought, it has been just like, ah, at the wall. And then it's like, I have no solution. I can't really tell you what you could have done to make that better. I can tell you I'm mad. Mm -hmm. um, but it does feel so constructive to come with like, but if we could have done it this way. And it's like that whole... Um, when you want the other person to like take you out on a date, but they keep giving you decisions to make, it's like exhausting. So if you're coming with a solution already, it's almost, it, it is like you're being proactive in the relationship, which must feel like, wow, this person respects this problem. This person respects that there's an issue here and a wedge between us. And I would want to give that respect mm -hmm. to another partner and I'd want to feel it back as well. And the solution can only come after I verify what you're saying and I hear you first, right? Because if you if you came into a fight and you bring this up, my partner says, well, I guess we'll never go to my mom's house anymore. That's actually not a solution. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually not it. Not it, Thank right? You. So first, <laughs> yeah. let's say, am I hearing you right? And you repeat what you heard from them. And then you say, mm -hmm. do you, first, I'm always going to ask, do you have a solution first? Is there something that would feel good for you if they don't come with it? But my job is to come up with the next solution if I shoot theirs down. Mm -hmm. you're on after yes, that then you're on then you got together <laughs> mike's hot and after then that yeah we have to compromise is always good and it's not about what's right or wrong often it's about what's workable right for me the solution is we have 10 more million dollars and i can pay for childcare all the time that would be very good that is the right solution in my opinion <laughs> but it's not the workable solution because it's not real uh -huh. and so what uh -huh. is the workable solution yeah. Oh, workable. Mm -hmm. That's a good word. <laughs> mm. In the name of apologies, um, what are some scripts for apologies that we could use if we're not so good at them? So I love this question because we talk about rupture, but I think it's also very important to talk about repair. Um, and so to be able to go to your partner and say, hey, I recognize that when I said this to you, I, you know, said it in a way that maybe hurt you. I recognize the way in which I said this, the way in which I acted um, isn't the way that I want to act in our relationship. And so I'm really sorry for the way that I treated you. I'm really sorry for shutting down. Next time, I'm really going to work on saying it this way. I'm really going to work on being more communicative in the relationship. And, and then follow up with it. You know, in the next argument, 
for you to be able to actually put that into place. Obviously, you're not going to be perfect, but just as much as actually apologizing is important, behavior is is really the only thing that's going to back that apology up. Because you can say, I'm sorry, over and over and over again. But if there is no behavior to back up the apology, um, and once again, it doesn't mean you're going to do things perfectly next time. But if you can talk about the ways in which you're going to work on this, hey, I'm, I'm really working on how reactive I am in these environments. And so I'm going to figure out what was underneath that, that reactivity. And if I need a, a pause, I'm going to say I need a pause to come back to it so that I don't use any sort of anti-relational you know, words, behavior in this argument to push you farther away. So to apologize for what you did, to say, I'm sorry I did this. I'm sorry I hurt you. And here is what I want to do next time to change. Here's what I want to do next time to, to do things differently. What is not a helpful apology is justifying behavior. I'm sorry I did that, I, but I was just so stressed from the day. Not helpful. Just I'm sorry. I tell everyone, uh, I was talking to my hairdresser the other day, and she was like, you know, she's texting her partner while we're doing this. And I was like, listen, best piece of advice, stop. Before you send the last one, the last one's the bad one. Don't do that one. <laughs> right? So the first one is like, I was overwhelmed with the kids. Blah, blah. The last one is, I guess I'll just do everything myself. No, no, no. You never send the last one. <laughs> And so when there's your phone across the room, (laughs) just immediately. So when you justify it, when you're going into any of these bad communications, that's when you stop. An apology should be short and succinct. That's it. And it should be about you and not me. Like if you find yourself saying, I'm sorry, but you did this, this, and this. Not an apology. (laughs) (laughs) It's not an I'm sorry. Can you ask for a better apology? When you're in a, when you're getting one? First of all, let's be clear. You can ask for whatever the hell you want in a relationship. Will you get it or not? I don't know. Um, But Uh yes, one of the things you can say is, I know that you just tried to apologize, but that did not make me feel better. Mm. I feel farther from you right now. Now, for a lot of us, we do not have these skills. It sounds silly what we're talking about, but most people actually don't have relational skills. We have to teach them to each other. So often people feel like, okay, well, if I tell my partner to apologize, how to apologize, then it's not genuine. Mm -mm. But that's actually not true. That sometimes we need to teach our partners how we want to be apologized to. We need to teach them how to validate us right? Like we're all struggling in this relationship game. Like we all don't have the tools. It does not mean it's not genuine. It doesn't mean, and and that's, I think, another way that we try to protect ourselves. If I have to teach them, then it means they don't care about me. No, it just means that they were never taught how to validate and respond to these things like any of us. And so Mm -hmm. to give our partner the benefit of the doubt, to understand, listen, they might not have these tools. So I have to teach them like, hey, When I'm really upset, here's a perfect example that happens all the time in heterosexual relationships. If a woman cries, they're upset, man will come up and, you know, a woman will say, oh, I'm like struggling with this, this, and this. Man tries to fix it. Oh, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you do this? Why don't you change this? Why? We don't need that. We need you to just sit there, say, I'm really sorry. I I hear that you had a really bad day. Is there any way that I can support you? But because your partner is coming with their own ideas about 
How am I going to help here? I'm going to try to fix it. But in that, we feel very invalidated. So we sometimes have to teach our partners like, hey, listen, when I'm struggling with something, I just need you to listen and like validate what I'm feeling. Here's what that looks like, (laughs) right? They might not get it right every time. You might have to keep reminding them. But for them to hear that and to acknowledge that, it means they care about you. They want to work on the relationship. It does not mean that it's not genuine when you teach them how to do something for you. It's actually important an important thing to do. Oh, I'm very guilty of that. <laughs> of saying, we all are. Yeah. Like if I have to tell you how to apologize to me, then why don't I just talk to this fucking wall? Because I can tell the wall how to apologize to me too. And so it's like, or I'll record my own voice and just play yeah. it back because I don't want to have a fucking conversation with myself. But it makes sense if you're not taught like also like I am a different human than anybody else they've had to interact with before so of course I'm going to need different types of apologies and validation so that makes a lot of sense (laughs) well and don't forget like we said we're not therapists if we don't talk about your childhood (laughs) and keep in mind your first experience with a caregiver is you cry and say nonsense and and they have to figure it out. And so from the youngest age, your caregiver's job was to understand you with you saying nothing. That is not real for any other relationship in our life, but because it is one of our first relationships, we think it is. I think you guys mentioned that in our toxic episode too, at one point, because I remember it hitting just as hard as like, fuck, the first person you trusted understood you without having to say a thing. And I could just throw my arms and like cry and you got it. And usually you gave me food and I was better. (laughs) And often that's just what our partner needs to do was to just hear us cry and give us food, but it's not always, (laughs) but we do. It's so true. The thing is, right. Cass, you said, you said it in such a good point, which is that like, um, why don't I just talk to this wall? Because that wall is actually never going to talk back, but your partner will eventually. (laughs) Yeah. And the same thing with my kid, I have so much patience with my partner. I have none, but the reality (laughs) is, is actually my husband about had about as much emotional maturity as my five-year-old does. And we had to teach everyone the same way. And that's not because he's bad and she's good. It's because developmentally in his experience of his life and what he grew up with, he didn't get it. And so I I had this moment um, working, you know, I'm in a lot of couples therapy, worked very hard on my partner about him expressing stuff. And then one day I bring it to couples therapy and I'm mad. I'm mad about how he expressed himself. And my couples therapist said, no, you don't get to be mad about this one. He did exactly what you want him to do at the developmental age that he is. We've been doing couples therapy for two years. He's two years old in how he's doing it. (laughs) I understand Mm -hmm. you want him to move faster, but that's not realistic. So what is the developmental age of people around me and my relationship? I've been with my partner for 13 13 years now, 14 years actually, I think, 14 years now. So our relationship is the developmental age is a 14-year-old. Anyone ever met a 14-year-old? Woof. Wild, right? Bad time being a 14 year old. But the first year, one year, met a one year old, adorable. First year, very good. Yes, so So good. So I want you to also think about what's the developmental age your relationship is in, and then what trauma has your relationship experienced. And when I say trauma in a relationship, I mean um, death, grief, loss, infidelity, all trauma in a relationship, right? So if my relationship has experienced more, it's going to be at a different developmental age. And it is something important to keep in mind minds because people always think well we shouldn't be fighting 
fighting or one well one-year-olds fight it's fine we shouldn't be fighting it's been 14 years have you ever met a 14 year old everyone fights all the time <laughs> and so give yourself the benefit of the doubt the number one thing you can do in a relationship is self-compassion for you and then compassion for your partner. Beautiful. Wow. I feel better. <laughs> <laughs> that was amazing. I, Cass, do you have anything no, else? I think you both hit on everything and more <laughs> that I didn't yeah, even I have the words to ask the questions. So thank you <laughs> yeah. for always doing that. Uh-huh. Absolutely. And where can our listeners keep connecting with you after the show? You got it. <laughs> um, you can listen to us at the Strength Tricks podcast. But what we are truly passionate about is helping people find therapists that they love. It is what we believe we are put on this earth for. We have a wonderful practice called The Therapy Group, thetherapygroup.com. We have clinicians all over the U.S. except for a very few states that have different laws. Uh, but for the most part, we're probably in your state. Please reach out if you're looking to start your therapy journey, to continue it, to transition in it. We have individual couples, family therapists, therapygroup.com. We would love to help you with your search. Well, I hope you all <laughs> have learned a thing or two. I know I learned several. Um, mm -hmm. So thank you, Em and Jen, for coming back on the podcast. And you guys are just the best people to talk about the sticky points in a relationship. I mean, talking with two therapists and we don't have to pay for it. Are you kidding me? <laughs> are you fucking kidding? So um, you should figure out a way to pay us because you're welcome. And we love <laughs> you guys so much. So thanks for hanging out with us uh, on another week. Yeah. Um, I did have a fun question just for our like outro babes. Mm -hmm. um, what's the most like toxic thing you've done in a fight <laughs> that you feel comfortable sharing? I feel like you're recalling one specific thing <laughs> that you want me to share. <laughs> You don't have to share it. I do have a favorite thing you've done in a fight. But I'm going to say that, it because I think okay. it has to do with ice. <laughs> right? <laughs> it does. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, for our outro babes only, because I know there's like six of you. Um, I was in a fight with my boyfriend. Uh, <laughs> and he was, he's, ugh, he pisses me off so much. He was just such a devil's advocate in every single fight we were in. Mm -hmm. And so we had worked our way through the entire apartment throughout this fight. We'd started in different rooms and we made our way mm -hmm. and I was finally in the kitchen and I was getting a drink and I was making like a glass of something. And he just said something that pissed me the fuck off. And the, when I say the athleticism that came out of me to crack the ice mold thing, you know, uh -huh. that you put in your the freezer, tray. cracked it mm -hmm. and popped out one at the same time. It was incredible. I was like a softball player. So I yeah. cracked and popped an ice cube and I chucked <laughs> all in the same breath. It hit him not hard. Well, right. Not hard enough to do anything. <laughs> no one called anyone. So it was fine. Um, but I cracked, popped and chucked an ice cube at my boyfriend in the middle of a fight. And we both were just like, <gasps> We're just like, what the fuck? And honestly, it felt good. I don't take it back. It hit him in the chest. It hit him in the stomach. It was fine. It was one ice cube. He can handle no it. No one was hurt. Yeah. Um, I don't advocate. Yeah. I'm just saying I've done it. And I think it's time to be honest. How about you? Yeah. And you've grown. <laughs> um, I've definitely threatened to leave a lot. Mm. I think that's like my most toxic trait is I do 
or I used to. I have not done it in a while um, <laughs> since our last. You're too comfy episode, now. Really. You like sit on the couch and fight, and you're just like, I'm not leaving. I just want you to I shut know. up. <laughs> We're kind of just at that point. Like I, I know it's not going to end, so it's like we got to figure it out, bitch. Yeah, <laughs> like one way or another, uh-huh. we have to navigate this. But I did used to do the thing where I'm like, well, maybe we just shouldn't be together then. Oh yeah, which is so lame. And I was not ready to leave. I was. Mm. I did not have keys. No <laughs> bags packed. We're so intertwined in every aspect of our life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I think that's probably the worst thing that I've done most consistently. <laughs> wow. Well, you put yourself ahead of most people then, because I also do that. But my ice story was funnier. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh yes, your ice. It was. That's why I asked the question. But yeah, it's much funnier. <laughs> I totally get that. And I mean, when you're at your wit's end, you feel like the only way to get what you need is to threaten. Mm -hmm. I mean, I get it. When you have little to no knowledge, it's like, I don't know how to fight and feel safe. So it's like, I'm going to just try to run away, even though I'm wrong, and hope you chase after me. And then that puts me in the position of being more right because you chased after me. Yes. And a lot of us have partners that shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think a lot of us who are reactors in a situation, people who show a lot of emotion, people who want to talk through it, mm-hmm. um, you know, until there is no more Blue words in the face. to be said. Yeah. Um, we want a reaction. Yeah. We're not getting one. And so sometimes, like, I've been in a position where I'm like, fine, I'll get the fucking reaction. Yes. I'll do whatever I have to do to get the fucking reaction. 100%. Um, yeah, not a good thing. Very toxic. Not fighting fair. Not fighting fair, but <laughs> we get it. Fighting honest. Fighting <laughs> honest. I pull out all my stops. But hopefully with shrink checks, we've um, been able to put a few more tools in our belt so that threatening to leave might be our last tool that we don't mm-hmm. touch that often anymore. <laughs> right. And maybe it's not a threat. Maybe it's more of a discussion if you are actually at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we're not perfect. So. Not fucking perfect. Um, but I just love having talks about these things, too. So, yeah, it's so fun. We're so real. Um, you can head on over to Apple Podcasts to rate, review, and subscribe to Honey Do Me. You can leave us a written review. Um, you can rate us on Spotify. You can watch us on YouTube. You can blow little kisses to the moon, and we'll catch them. And most of all, uh, you can come back next week for more relationship content. Absolutely. All of February, bitches. Yes. Yes, indeed. All right. Well, with that, have a great Valentine's Day, and we'll see you later. Yeah. Bye. Bye.